0: From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And the sermon this morning is taken from Acts 2, 1 through 13. Parthians, Medes, and Elamedes, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed. They asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine.
1: The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may have your seats in the presence of the Lord. So this week we're going to continue in our series, Pursue series, we're going to be discussing this week pursuing the presence and power pursuing his presence and his power and so um because we have the town hall i'm going to uh working to streamline through the sermon notes this morning uh because we have the town hall shortly following this uh but with that said um i did want to share a story that was completely unrelated to the sermon whatsoever uh because it kind of touched my heart so um I'm leaving Hornbacher's, and there's this woman outside, and she's walking around, and she's roaming around. She's frantic, and she's very frantic, and uh, they're asking. She uh, goes to the, the cashier. She's like, hey, I've lost my money. I lost my uh, my purse. I lost my money. I had $200 in it, and you're feeling very bad for this woman at the time, and so um, being the great Christian God that I was, I gave her $40 out of the $200 that I found, and so I thought that was something... <laughs> that really showed my heart and uh, demonstrated what a Christian guy I was. And so it says in verse (laughs) 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Here's what I want us to understand from this scripture as we delve into it. Obviously, this is an event in time. This is the birthing of the church. This is what we would call, um, and I wish I really could get into it, but this is what's called really kind of the third creation. Uh, The first original creation starting with the world, the second creation starting with Israel, the third creation, the birth of the church. So now you have this birth of the church, but it says when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. God has designated times and seasons when he will move. God has designated times and seasons when he will move. We can't force the hand of God to move any faster than we want it to. Uh, This is very significant for us as a church because we are in a state where we're trying to figure out some things, both denominationally, uh, both uh, corporately here as the body of Calvary, and then for our own individual lives, I'm sure there's some things we're trying to figure out and understand. But God has an appointed time, which is kind of interesting Uh, given the testimony of, you know, my being here, is that Pastor Dave actually tried to retire the year before. wasn't God's timing. He had to wait another year. I was not trying to do anything inside of pastoring. God said, no, I have my timing. I have my season. So we understand that there's an appointed time, and I believe that for us as Calvary, God has an appointed time for us to experience a new season that is going to be coming. But here's what's very important, they have to be all together in one place, they have to be on the same mind, and they have to be in the same place, not just physically, but spiritually, emotionally, mentally. We all have to be, and I love the King James language, all on one accord. We are of the same mind, going the same direction to fulfill the purpose of God, which is why when we... Think about uh, the Tower of Babel and the story of the Tower of Babel. What was very powerful about that and what heaven even recognized is because they are one mind and on one purpose, nothing can stop them. If we become on one mind and one purpose about the gospel, about making disciples, about becoming disciples, making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world, then you will see us as an unstoppable force. And that is what's very important. But here's something we need to understand also is that prayer precedes presence and power. Without prayer, there is none of God's presence and there is none of his power. Prayer is simply communication with God. I am in communication. I am in relationship. I am in constant talking with God about what's the next action. Where are we going to take the next turn? Where are we going to go next? How long do you want us to stay here before we advance? In other words, I have a military background. So it's sort of like waiting the orders from your commander. What is the next step before we take it? And so prayer precedes presence and power. We want to seek God's presence. We want to seek his power. But we can't do that unless we're a church that is on board with praying, which this church is. Uh, But if you look at our prayer numbers compared to, our, like I said, our other numbers, uh, it's very interesting. So maybe we have to figure out some strategies in which we can pray that will provide us that corporate power of prayer Uh, Without maybe physically all being together. It says in verse 2, suddenly a sound. Somebody say a sound. A sound like the blowing of the violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. There is a sound that accompanies the presence of God. We experienced a little bit of that sound last week. There is a sound that is going to be unique for Calvary. Every church has a very specific sound that is unique to them that says the presence of God is present among us. And so we are searching, we are seeking, we are pursuing the spirit so we can have that sound. But that sound comes from heaven. It cannot be generated from our flesh or our emotions or anything else. There's a lot of great facsimiles of church right now you can go to a lot of places and a lot of congregations have what looks like church what sounds like church what feels like church but if you were to ask god is my spirit present you will find out that the ark of the covenant had already left and so people are having a great time and they're having great community and they're having great corporate worship but the presence of god is not actually there and so without the sound from heaven then Um, we're just uh, tinkling cymbals and tinkling brass and the spirit of God is not really with us. And so we got to have the sound from heaven. What does that sound look like for us as Calvary? We're going to be in that process of discovery, what that sound looks like. But it has to fill the house. For the presence of God to move in Calvary, the presence of God has to fill a house. It starts with community first. It starts with community first. And so going to verse 3, it says, They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. If the tongues of fire separated, that means at one point the tongues of fire were united. The same spirit that was on this individual was on this individual was on this individual because it all came from the same unified fire. The spirit of God that's on me, the spirit of God that's on you have to be in sync. They have to be from the same place. If we're going to advance as Calvary, where God wants to call us next, that fire that rests on us individually first, it rests on the house. But even more so, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Somebody say all. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, I'm not going to get into a debate about tongues today. Some of us come from traditions where that is normative, operative, and for some traditions, if you didn't speak in tongues, you're probably not saved. And for other traditions, you are way on the other extreme, you're like, well, that gifts of the spirit was for just that time period, and it's only for that time period, it doesn't exist today, and that's how I see scripture, we're not debating that today. Here's what I want you to pull from this. Once you see, it talks about speaking in tongues. This was a word picture for the folks who was witnessing what the Spirit was doing at that time because what they were seeing had already happened before. It happened with the giving of the law, what I call second creation, or the birth of the nation of Israel. At the birth of the nation of Israel, uh, it says in Jewish writings, the Midrash. The Midrash is writings or oral traditions that were passed down, stories stories of the Jewish nation that were passed down And this is a story they said that happened at the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. On the occasion of the giving of the Torah, the children of Israel not only heard the Lord's voice, but actually saw the sound waves as they emerged from the Lord's mouth. They visualized them as a fiery substance. Each commandment that left the Lord's mouth traveled around the entire camp. Remember, we start with community and then came to each every Jew individually Starts corporately, then it goes individually. It's the same spirit. This was a word picture. For anyone who was witnessing the phenomenon, they were supposed to connect it to the giving at Mount Sinai. This was the birth of a nation. Now you have a new birth happening. You're having a new creation happening. You have the birth of the church happening. But even more so, one rabbi said this. God's voice as it uttered split up into 70 voices and 70 languages so that all nations should understand. There was various language, there was speaking in tongues, there were tongues, there was various languages happening when God uttered, and and in in the uh, Hebrew, the word is thunderings, it's not actually the voice of God is thunderings, but it's not the same thunder as thunder and lightning. The voice of God was booming, but it was going out in 70 different languages, and 70 represents the completeness of the world. The number 70 for 70 nations was symbolic of the complete world, the entire world was hearing the voice of God. And so what was happening as Pentecost is God is saying, I am now giving this new law to the world. I'm giving my new spirit to the world. I'm invading, my kingdom is invading upon the world. So we have the sound, we have it that it fills the house, and then it fills each person. And it's important to note that being filled with the Holy Spirit is not the same as having the spirit of God. You can have the spirit of God in capacity. You can be filled with the spirit. I think uh, for those who like to go out, they say top it off. Top me off. Or you can have maybe half of some spirit, maybe a quarter of some spirit. But you may not be filled with the spirit. And so here are five signs that you may not be filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you guys ready? All right. Sign number one. You fear man more than God. You fear man's opinion more than God. You fear their looks, what they'll say, what they'll think about you. You fear man more than God. You fear man more than God. Because when the Holy Spirit came, the disciples before they received the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit would not have had the boldness they had to go out in the world and proclaim the resurrection, and proclaim the gospel the way they did, even upon pain of death. Number two, obedience to God is optional. Your obedience to God is optional. What does that look like? It looks like this. The Lord nudges you at 3 a.m. and says, I need you to get up and pray. Oh, man, Lord, I'm really tired. I will do it at 7 a.m. when I get up. Hey, I want you to go minister to that sister right now. You know, Lord, she might think I'm weird if I go over there and say something to her, and so I'm just not comfortable with that, God. Obedience to God is optional. It may be a sign that you may not be filled with the Holy Spirit. Number three, sin is your comfort food. Sin is your comfort food. Whenever tragedy happens, whenever stress starts to attack you, whenever you start to feel like, you know, the world is crashing in on me, we don't run to the Father, but we run to the sin that comforts us. Instead of running to the scriptures or running into prayer, we run into the sins that comfort us. Whatever your sin, whatever your vice, whatever your medication, whatever that is, we all got different ones, but we run to that instead of running to the Father. Number four. People only know you're a Christian because you told them. When the presence of God is in our lives, it shows up before we do. You can walk in a room and without anyone speaking, when you are covered in the Holy Spirit, when you spend time in the presence of God, people will know. They will say, they will mention it. They'll be like, you know, there's just something about you. There, there's just, I don't know what it is. I, I, I kind of want to hang around you. I want to kind of I kinda want to be around you because there's just something about your presence. Now, number five, we're gonna save till later. But here's the reflection question I want us to, to, to reflect upon. It says, um, are we producing disciples of Christ of our culture? And if we look at current Christian culture, what does it reveal? Are the disciples we're producing, are they disciples of Christ, the risen Savior, or are they disciples of our culture? Whether that's our denominational culture, whether that's our secular culture, whether it's our local church culture, whatever that culture is, are we producing disciples that follow more after the denomination or the church culture more than they do Christ? And if you were to look at our present culture when you look at the christians around us what happens in the media kind of the way we are how we carry ourselves as a global christianity and i'm going to specify to american american christianity what does that reveal acts chapter 2 verse 5 it says now they were staying in jerusalem god fearing jews from every nation under heaven here's what we have to understand the holy spirit is always at work in all the nations of the world The Holy Spirit is at work in all of the nations of the world. There are people who are God-fearing that just may not have the comprehensive gospel yet. Christ has revealed himself to people in the Middle East in dreams. Nobody ever went and preached to them. God has revealed himself in different places of the world. And so the natural assumption sometimes we have is people who don't have the gospel as we understand it are not saved. That God is not working in their lives. But the Holy Spirit is always at work. God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, and they gather. And it says, when they heard this sound, again, they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language. Each one heard their own language. When the presence of God is in our lives and we speak to people, when we connect with people, when we start transferring, uh, transmitting the gospel to people, they will hear that language they will hear it the way god needs to hear it because the holy spirit becomes the filter so the presence not only brings sounds and not only fills the house corporately and not fills us individu- not only fills us individually but it also brings revelation of who god is the presence of god brings revelation of who god is so with that I'm going to share this. Christ works through us to connect the world to him. As a result, we become the biggest obstacle for connecting people to Christ. We become the biggest obstacle for connecting people to Christ. Verse seven and eight. They ask, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it? that each of us hear them in our own native language. There's a different language being spoken all over the world uh, within our nation. There's languages around different issues. There's languages around uh, different beliefs. There's languages around all sorts of things. But here's the language that affects us as Calvary, especially when we look at our demographics. Um, it's generational languages. Each generation is speaking a different language as they understand the gospel. Each generation is speaking a different language as they understand the gospel. The boomers, kind of that that rowdy bunch from about 46, uh, they say to roughly the mid-60s, institution, institution, authority. We speak that language. That's why the boomers are older folks. They're the ones that are really kind of holding the church together still. They're the ones that tithe faithfully because they believe in, in the institution. They're the ones that uh, keep denominations running because they believe in the institution. So they speak language of institution. But then when you get to Gen Xers, and that's my generation, that's the generation that grew up latchkey kids. And so the institutions start to fall. Institutions of marriage, there were divorce rates started to go up. Institution of waiting until you got married, the teenage pregnancy rate went up. You started to see the institutions that people held in regard before start to break down. And so that generation, when you look, especially when you look at 80s movies, was um, always covered in kind of this theme of just rebellion. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It was this thing of we're going to rebel against... COVID. So there's a lot of skepticism with Gen Xers. And so during that time, that's why they started to develop attractional churches. Churches that were seeker-sensitive because you have this generation that is very skeptical And so as a result, we need to get something to get them in the door to attract them and then maybe introduce them to the gospel. But then you have millennials come after that. Millennials looked at that generation and said, okay, it's it's not about a good time and attraction and, and a great band. It's about the mission. What are we doing as the mission of the church? And so they talked about being missional, going out into the world and actually being the church, not just preaching about it. And so you have millennials speaking that, gener- uh, that generational language when it comes to church. Gen Z is the one that is very different and very unique because they're still in formation. But what we know so far is this is going to be a generation when it comes to church that's going to speak a language of activism and justice. You see it around you already. No matter where you land on the political spectrum or the social spectrum of how you see different issues, Gen Z is growing up saying that If it really matters to you, you get involved. They're the most politically and socially engaged generation for quite a few generations to come, probably since the uh, great generation, which was um, before the boomers. And so they're speaking a very different language. So now the question is how do we connect to a generation that speaks a different language from us? When we believe the gospel is about, I read the scripture. The Bible is the authority, and I should just be able to tell you my systematic theology, and you should believe. And another generation is saying, well, I don't subscribe to that. I need to see it in action. But if the presence of God is present, the presence of God will allow everyone to hear their language out of no matter what generation you're from. Amen? All right, so reflection question for us. Because we know that our demographics skew toward the higher end. Gen Xers, boomers. So how do we connect with millennials and Gen Z for the future of our church? How can we speak to a culture we do not understand or even care to understand? So for many of us, that means that we're going to have to get out of our uncomfortable bubble. So those of us who are older, we need to sit with our kids and our grandkids and just ask them questions. Tell me about your generation. Why do you guys believe the way you believe? And rather than being the lecturer, become the student. And let the 14-year-old and the 18-year-old and the 24-year-old who doesn't have as much wisdom and experience and knowledge, especially knowledge of the scriptures probably that you have, but still has something to teach us. That's how we learn about the other cultures. And that's how we build a church. That we can hand off to succeeding generations so last two scriptures it says uh verses 12 and 13 amazed and perplexed they asked one another what does this mean some were excited some were asking questions some had curiosity but then it says "Some, however, made fun of them and said they had they have had too much wine when the presence of God begins to move, when God begins to really move, there's going to be two responses. There are going to be some people that are very excited about it. They're going to be like, wow, I don't know what God is up to, but I'm excited about what God is up to. And then there's going to be some people like, I don't believe God's in it. And so I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to interpret that. I'm going to interpret that last verse. Somehow ever made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. And to the Jenkins Interpretive Translation then some haters threw shade. Where there is a move of God, there will inevitably be some haters throwing shade. God isn't possibly in that. God doesn't move like that anymore. God doesn't do miracles anymore. God is not the God of the New Testament that he was in Acts. That God doesn't exist anymore. It's this God of the book of the doctrines that I've written that is now a bestseller that you need to follow. Some haters will throw shade. Which leads me to number five. Fifth sign that we may not be filled with the Holy Spirit. We are ashamed of Christ in the gospel. We are ashamed of Christ in the gospel. There's a book I've given to leadership, it's one of two books we give into leadership. This one is called Future Church. And I just want to share something the author wrote in it. Um, I'm going to be skipping around, but here's some of the quotes he says. The gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. I came to see that the gospel did work to save people. It was plenty strong enough without my help. But then he goes on and says... I do think the shame of social rejection has something to do with the fact that we don't share the gospel. Paul said that he was not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation. That must mean that Paul would have been ashamed of the gospel if it lacked power, if it did not work. And that in turn implied that if Paul relied on some other power to save people, that would have proven He was ashamed of the gospel. Then came the question from the spirit that nailed me between the eyes. Am I ashamed of the gospel? Think hard about this question for yourself in your own church. And look at the list of things we do in order to transmit the gospel The preacher with the skinny jeans or the preacher with the suit and tie, the preacher that preaches topical and the one that preaches expository and the shiny band and the rebranding and being cool and coffee bars and everything except the power of the gospel. Then he goes on to quote a preacher that says, I would do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Christ and to reach people no one is reaching will do things no one is doing. And indeed, we are in some churches doing things that no one is doing. But then we have to ask the question, if the gospel is sufficient in and of itself, isn't it enough just to share the gospel? You don't have to get into a debate. You don't have to argue. You you can just simply say, well, Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world so that you and I can be free and we can be saved and we can be reconciled to the Father. And whether they receive it or not is not on us. We've shared the gospel. The gospel is power in and of itself. As the musicians come back up and the band comes back up, I want to share this last scripture. Because David wrote this, and I think it is powerful, what David was saying here. And this will have to be our heart's desire if we want the presence of God to move In our congregation, if we want to experience revival, if we want to see what I heard happen here in the Red River Valley some decades ago, where people were just coming to Christ in droves and they were proclaiming, What must I do to be saved? Then we have to have this heart One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Every, fa- every part of me, every facet of me does nothing but desire the Lord, Jesus, and nothing else. May the Lord keep you and bless you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Go be blessed in the name of the Lord. Have a great week.